hello, welcome, and thank you for listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast. This is a summer pod, summer edition. George and I sitting, talking EFL for the first time in almost three weeks as the rain pours down outside. And we're going to talk about some rainy summer's day topics. We're going to talk about some of the manager news that happened while we've been on a, a, a medium hiatus and some transfer news. So some good stuff to get into. George, it's an absolute pleasure uh, to be with you. We have seen each other, but we haven't talked football for a while. So this is nice. What else do we ever talk about? Golf? Yes, we talk about our own golf and, and other people's golf quite a lot as well. Um, yeah, good to be back in front of the mic and uh, looking forward to uh, discussing what's gone on in the last couple of weeks. Both you. had a, a restful time off, a bit of holidays, mostly back in business now. Uh, we should say, if you listen to this before the fixtures are released, if you listen to this on Wednesday night, then set your Sky Plus or whatever you have to record or set your TV onto Sky Sports News on Thursday morning, between 9 and 11, we're going to have a few slots on there uh, talking all things EFL. Uh, and throughout July as well, we're going to be doing some bits on transfers for Sky Sports News, which we're very excited about. Get in touch with us at NTT20Pod if there's any transfer chat that you need from us, any questions, queries, any opinions that you have, just get in touch. We're going to start, though, with managers and manager news. And I think we should start with the big news from, I believe it was yesterday, Tuesday, there have been murmurings for a week or so that there was something up with Gary Monk and the board at Birmingham City. And despite that being a surprise to myself and to many others, uh, it, the worst case scenario for many fans did come to pass yesterday. Gary Monk leaving Birmingham City uh, and Pep Clotet being appointed caretaker head coach. The remainder of the coaching staff, including Sean Rush, Ryan Needs and James Beattie, of course, staying in place. What was your reaction to this story? I mean, not that surprised in the end because it seemed to, to have rumbled on for a week or so. But uh, it, you look at the reaction of the Birmingham fans and it says a lot. They're all, all very upset that he's, he's made way. I think part of that might be more to do with the lack of trust that the fans have in, in the owners there. I think in Monk, they had someone who they felt that they that represented them in a good light, who had them back playing... Um, not necessarily attractive football, but a brand of football that, that got them within touching distance of the playoffs at one stage last season before the, the the points deduction. I'm not necessarily convinced he was doing anything more than a 7 out of 10 job for them, but or if that. But at the same time, you feel like the his leaving has just caused a massive uh, divide at the club. And it's interesting to see that the coaching staff and Pep Clotet are staying for the time being, given... I mean, the relationship between Clotet and Monk yeah. is what got Clotet at the club in the first place. So He's I, been with him at, at Leeds, hasn't he? And Swansea. And Swansea. So Swansea first. They were, they were thrust together at Swansea. Um, and then Leeds, he brought him with him. At Birmingham, he brought him with him as well. So um, purely from what I know about their relationship, I'd be quite surprised, uh, unless Clotet gets the job full-time, I'd be surprised if he... Um, if that coaching staff does stay there in the long term, I think it's probably more of a case of keeping some element of, of the football coaching staff there for the time being whilst they look for a, uh, a successor. Do you think, we've got a few think, different things to, to get into here. Let's start with Monk. Do you think his stock is high? Do you think he will have thought, well, if you're going to be a burden, if you're going to question my style of play, well, I back myself to get another championship job fairly swiftly. I mean, I, I don't think I quite agree with your 7 out of 10 uh, rating of him there, I, I certainly expected Birmingham to do a lot worse on the pitch than they ended up doing this season. I can't imagine there would have been many people that could have got more out of that squad. Um, that's sort of my, my opinion. I don't necessarily think he's God's gift either. I think he might be a, a bit of a, a, a Rowett type who might be better suited to um, putting together a, a team to compete and, and maybe to you know do better than expected. But we've seen when... Push came to shove with Borough in in difficult circumstances after a relegation, uh, and also crunch time with Leeds. That you know, when when they needed to have the upper hand in games, he did struggle a little bit. But just in terms of his future prospects, do you feel like we'll see him again soon? I think his stock's higher now than it was when he left Middlesbrough, and, and what was a, a really really poor um, short spell there. I think the issue is that's now four jobs that he's had in not very long of being a manager. Um, in Swansea, Leeds, Middlesbrough and Birmingham. He doesn't strike me as someone who's particularly loyal. Um, he doesn't strike me as someone who you'd look to, to to start a project to take a club further. Um, and that's 
given that he hasn't really actually done much in his managerial career, he hasn't got a promotion, um, he hasn't got any honours next to his name, to have been through four clubs already, if I was a manager, so if I was an owner looking to hire a manager, there are certainly aspects of his on-field management um, that would be attractive, but I think the his inability to, to keep hold of a job, whether it's for footballing reasons or personal reasons, um, is a big black mark. You say no honours. He did win Premier League Manager of the Month in August 2014. Um, What's the Premier League? I think Michu should have won that yes. um, in reality. Uh, and and let's talk about Pep Clotet. Uh, if he is the man to take the club forward, and it looks like he is in the short term, you are someone who has had first-hand experience of Pep Clotet managing your football club, uh, Oxford United. And uh, what are your feelings about him uh, based on, on that spell uh, with Yellows? It's interesting because when he first got appointed as manager, um, the whole fan base was quite excited. He seemed to be someone who um, brought with him a coaching quality from, from the continent that was held in very high regard. Um, he was very popular with Leeds fans at, at his time at that club. I mean, he seemed like a bit of a, a breath of fresh air, but, but in reality, he was anything but. Um, he took on a job that was done so well by Michael Appleton. And it was a very tough job for that reason, but at the same time, everything was in place for us to kick on. And, and it did seem on paper like the right um, decision was made by Darrell Eels. Um But pretty quickly, the football turned from, from looking promising mm. to quite quickly being very, very dour and very, very boring. The recruitment as well was, was, was fairly shocking. Um, I don't know if it'll have any impact put in that at, at Birmingham. But, and team selection as well was baffling. Um, if you look back at the, the, the 7-0 defeat to Wigan um, towards the end of his tenure... Uh, our centre midfield was, was Chemi and Josh Ruffles when you had um, uh, Ryan Ledson and Joe Rothwell both started on the bench for that game. And that kind of summed it up. He, he seemed very, very stubborn, unable to adapt um, in any way, shape or form to, to, to the job at hand. Um, was very convinced his own opinion was right. Um, and that didn't translate very well to management. All I can say as well, speaking to people who, who know him and who've worked with him, I think as a one-on-one coach, he is pretty much as good as it gets at that level. And any player who's worked with him or any coaches who've worked alongside him would say as much. Um, but in terms of actual the man management side of the game, the staff management side of the game, the in-game tactical nous, um, massively, massively lacking. And uh, and all I can, in terms of recruitment, it seemed something wasn't right there. The, the, the signing of Dwight T. Dali, who hadn't played for two years, um, the likes of Gino Van Kessel on a loan with a, with an, a first option of about £850,000 was an interesting one. Egon Mehmeti turned up halfway through the season. Um, these guys weren't really fit to, to play football for Oxford and, and they were the guys that he wanted to bring in. I mean, Ivo Pakowski has got to be one of the most, it's basically the Bosco Balaban of, of, of League One. Um, so I'd be concerned for that and, and it, it didn't really feel like the recruitment, didn't feel like the main aim of the recruitment was Pep Clotet trying to improve his squad. It just felt like there was something else going on there um, and the professionalism of, of his agency uh, on social media ever since has suggested that something wasn't quite right there. We'll move on from Birmingham. Some concerns, certainly, from both of us about who will lead them into the Championship next season, what that squad will look like. Um, of course, they've already lost Hotter to City rivals, Aston Villa. Uh, they gained Gary Gardner, though, in, in the swap deal. So they've got uh, the brothers Gardner in midfield, ready to, to run around and kick people quite a lot. Uh, they have Che Adams at the moment. Uh, I, I would be very impressed let's say, if they keep hold of him. He is a man in demand. Um, Charlton had a bit of a debacle this week. We, we don't need to go into it that much because it was very well covered on the day. Uh, 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 absolutely bizarre statement released by the club, uh, presumably coming from the owner about Boyer's new contract and them not being able to reach an agreement. Uh, it was sort of, it was almost like he was protesting before anything had been announced and trying to get get his side of the story out there uh, before everyone got angry with him but it just caused mass confusion and even more anger and left Charlton fans not for the first time uh, angry that their club is seen as somewhat of a laughing stock uh, in, in the football media because stuff like this happens too often uh, and then we woke up the next morning with Lee Boyer grinning at us holding up a scarf and, and uh, announcing a new deal so I think clearly for us we would say very good news that this has been sorted, um, that Boyer appears to be, uh, for the moment, at least content with his new deal and that they can continue planning for next season. We've spoken before about how when you win a playoff final, um, 
you're already a bit behind in terms of planning for the next campaign and you're moving up a division so you've got plenty of planning to do so they were already at somewhat of a disadvantage and then with this having taken three weeks or so uh, not ideal but good news for Charlton that, that Boyer uh, is the man to take them into the championship uh, Middlesbrough have appointed Jonathan Woodgate to replace Tony Pulis uh, part of the uh, sort of press release part of the statement on this uh, uh, was talked about we want as many fans back in the stadium as we can by playing attacking exciting football with high pressure and pressing in different areas so uh, quite an obvious sort of undertone there a big removal and switch from Tony Pulis not a surprise but in Woodgate you know we don't know to what extent he's going to be able to deliver that yeah um, we said on the podcast a few months ago that the issue with Middlesbrough now is that because they invested in Tony Pulis they have a squad that it was bought by Tony Pulis. So to suddenly expect Jonathan Woodgate to come in in his first managerial role as somebody who worked under Pulis and take that squad and make them a completely different footballing entity successfully is really quite difficult. Mm. So if I was Jonathan Woodgate, I'd be quite annoyed that I'd been given this task in the public uh, domain because... Well, you wouldn't be annoyed because you've got your first managerial job at a very good level. No, but at the same time, you don't want the board to be making promises to the fans about the football you're going to have to play successfully. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that if nothing was said and Jonathan Woodgate came in and was able to implement his own philosophy and, and, and look at ways that he wants to win football matches, it would be a much uh, easier brief for him. Um, so it's, I mean, it's impossible to know what he's going to be like. He's obviously got great calibre as a player. Um, and uh, and an affinity to the club that will really help, but it it does strike me as slightly odd that um, I think when you when you get into bed with Pulis, you know what you're going to be getting. So after one unsuccessful full season to pull the plug um, and then ask the new manager to do something totally different, it's, it's a bit short-sighted. Yeah, it's being billed, isn't it, as a big 180? Uh, I must admit, and you know, this is complete. This is just passing on the opinion of one person. But I spoke to someone a month or two ago when it was rumoured that Woodgate was going to be in charge. Someone who has decent knowledge of the club, I would say. And they were a little concerned that Woodgate was was basically a mini Pulis. Um, of course, we don't know exactly what this team is going to look like. And it seems like, based on that statement, um, it, that's not how it's going to look. But I was basically told that there were some similarities between them. Um, which is which is interesting and something to watch. But of course, that was just the opinion of one person and we don't know yet. Another uh, team who have gone, I mean, slightly left field is Swansea. Uh, now, they have a, more of a history for this and a fairly successful history in doing this, but they appointed uh, Steve Cooper. Cooper has worked in the youth setup with England and the FA. Uh, he's a highly rated coach of youth team players. He's worked at Liverpool as well, where he was... Uh, heavily influenced, according to Stuart James in The Guardian, by Pep Segura, who was working at Liverpool at the time. He's now back at Barcelona as the club's general manager. Um, it feels like, and you can understand it, uh, with Potter having been poached by Brighton and having done a job that I think the Swansea fans and the board were very, very happy with, that they're trying not to, to make such a, a big removal, certainly in terms of playing and coaching style. Um, and Cooper seems to be a, a very popular man, at least, uh, and someone with a good pedigree so I'm excited about this appointment again just as something a bit different but I don't think we're we, we can't say definitively this is this is going to put them at the top well, end of the table and it's also very hard to know what the expectations are for him because um, Graham Potter did a job worthy of, of, of landing a Premier League job which is something we don't often see for championship managers um, so does he is he expected to build on that and push them up closer towards the playoffs is it a case of of uh, consolidating their position again and a mid-table finish would be acceptable or, or is he fending off relegation? Mm. I have absolutely no idea. So um, I guess it's, the proof will be in how the fans react, what the football's like, whether or not they can keep hold of, having already lost Daniel James, if they can keep, mm. keep hold of certain players, which seems unlikely. Well, he's um, already spoken about, you know, going to be using the loan market a lot, his contacts at, at some of the development squads of Premier League teams. There's no real suggestion that that James money for example is going to be splurged I mean they still have to get rid of players like Jordan Ayew and Borja Baston and things like that they, they've got they, they essentially still need to keep yeah. cutting costs so I, I, for, a, for a return to the Premier League it doesn't scream that and then but there's a part of me that thinks if he can continue the good work done by Potter in terms of playing style in terms of the sort of players playing for the club and the way that they play the, the fans like, there's a there's a sort of joy that comes from supporting a team like that. So it's interesting. It would be interesting to know from a fan's point of view if they'd rather see 
spend more money on more yeah. recognised players to get us up, or whether they're you know happy to, to be enjoying supporting the team again. Well, I mean, in my head, right now, if they finish 14th, I'd say that's a, a, probably a job well done. Yeah. And that's without knowing who they're bringing in or who they're going to lose. It's just, it feels like a club slightly treading water at the moment in permanent transition. So, And that's not ideal for him to be coming into a club of Swansea size who a Premier League club just over a year ago um, who've just lost a manager who who was given time. You worry that he'll be expected to, to build on that straight away. Um, but definitely, I mean, it's, it's another intriguing managerial appointment from Swansea who seem happy to give promising coaches their chance and let's hope it's as successful as, as Potter's was. Yeah, another tidbit from that Guardian article. Uh, his, his dad, Keith, had a distinguished career as a top-flight referee. So one thing I'm excited is listening to how he talks about referees in his post-match interviews. I, I, I'm looking forward to him doing what I think more managers should do, but I understand why they don't under a lot of pressure. But I'm looking forward to him saying something like, I completely understand that the role of referee is incredibly difficult in this high-paced sport. Spot and, on, yeah. uh, I'm very happy to accept the occasional mistake, uh, but we'll see. West Bromwich Albion have finally replaced Darren Moore about four months after we thought they were going to. And they've gone with Slavon Bilic, not Slav Visa Jokanovic, who uh, has moved to the Middle East, but Slavon Bilic. So, I mean, it's like they sort of kept the first bit of the Google search of Slav Visa Jokanovic. Do you reckon they were typing it in and it came down and they were like, oh, it's a great idea, Bilic. (laughs) Well, yeah, regardless, I mean, I'm I'm not 100% sure, if I'm completely honest, where I stand on Bilic as a manager, uh, as someone who doesn't, you know, doesn't really spend too much time Worrying too much about the Premier League, I'm I'm not quite sure what how he's considered after that spell at West Ham, which I remember having some good times and then one season starting really badly and then he got sacked. I mean, what do you think about this appointment for West Brom? He's popular with West Ham fans still. That's um, good, but you have to wonder if if part of that is because of his cult status at the club as a player. Mm. Um, he didn't. He wasn't bad enough. I mean, he didn't. If he got them relegated, for example, um, it may be different. So he wasn't bad enough to ruin his relationship with them. I don't think there's much evidence to suggest that he's a top-level club coach. Yeah, and there's been a suggestion this is a real statement. Yeah, well, he's he's, he's high-profile. Just because he's a big name. He's a big name. He you know he's done a lot of punditry work on major stations since. Um, he was a player who played in, in the UK in the Premier League a lot. As a manager, he was he, he you know caused England's only very good with Croatia, um, wasn't he? I mean, he he was the reason why we didn't qualify for uh, for Euro 2008. His Croatia team. Um, which I think earned him some uh, some admirers over yeah. here based on a couple of games, really. Um, and he did okay in major tournaments. But as we know, club management and, and national management is very, very different. Uh, Chris Coleman will, will adhere to that, I think. Mm. So um, I'm not particularly positive about it. I think it's probably a better managerial appointment than, than Darren Moore was, and it will probably be better than, than James Sham would have been. It's not particularly um, intuitive, it is pretty ambitious. I'm sure he's probably on a lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, last season they, with their squad they had at their disposal, they finished fourth, um, despite never really um, impressing us. So I'm sure that if Slaven Bilic gets a similar level of support, they'll be up there without him doing much. I'd like to see a bit more dynamism from West Brom this season. I don't know if Bilic is or isn't the man uh, to do it. I don't know what sort of style he'll play, what sort of shape, but just in terms of personnel, I... I, I I would expect a half-decent turnover, really. I mean, they, they did well, in theory, to hold on to some of their bigger-name players last season in a hope that it, they would help them back up, which they haven't done. Obviously lost Gale. Uh, I doubt Rondon will, will stay, uh, really. So some of those guys like Craig Dawson, you know, Chris Brunt and Kyle Bartley and Jake Livermore, I'm not sure what their futures hold. But I, I suppose, I don't know particularly what their financial situation is. You would hope that they have a bit of money and, and could do some interesting transfer business at least and, and the sort of pools of talent that Slavon Bilic and his team might dip into could be interesting to see. Um, QPR signed up Mark Warburton to be their manager heading into the new season and unlike last season where they only made one signing on a, under a soft embargo, I think they might still be under a soft embargo, I'm not entirely clear, but they've been able to make some free transfer signings. Um, Kelly and Wallace uh, from Scotland. Kelly, the goalkeeper, is quite highly rated up there. Um, and they've also signed Johan Barbe, who, of course, was released by Brentford at the start of the summer. When you think about Warburton, 
Think about what his remit might be at QPR. Not a lot necessarily to work with, but as with a lot of clubs these days who have slightly run out of money having fallen foul of, of certain financial fair play regulations, we're seeing a lot of the same. We want them to develop our very talented under-23 and youth team players. We would like them to play a, a, an attractive brand of football to excite our fans. And we're probably not expecting a particularly high finish. Uh, are you feeling good about Warburton and QPR? I don't know. His, his, he's as uh, managers manager intrigue goes this season. He's very high up there for me. Um, a guy who I remember about six, five or six years ago, thinking he might be a future England manager mm. um, when he was at Brentford. Given his, the, you know, he was the start of the Brentford revolution under his um, stewardship, and he seemed like a very intelligent guy. Um, I think he's made a couple of poor decisions since um, taking the Rangers job, in particular, um, but. It's it's odd that he hasn't been back in football for a while since. I think the QPR job is one of the hardest jobs going at that level in the EFL at the moment in the mm. championship. Um, but he's got enough about him that you have to expect him to be an improvement. Well, I mean, Steve McLaren is an excellent manager, so it's it's pretty hard to say that. But <laughs> but in Warburton, they've got someone who's, despite not being a, a particularly young coach, he's someone who I feel hasn't... Um, fulfilled his potential yet and and he could be a manager who takes QPR to hopefully a new level if not kind of right up towards the top end of the league yeah I've always wanted to like him based on on the sort of I guess the sort of way that he's worked in the past and and based on what I have seen and the, the way that he thinks about the game but you're absolutely right it hasn't always especially in his last few roles necessarily actually been particularly fertile in terms of results so we'll find out Graham Jones joined Luton that was a very badly kept secret um, tough sh- tough shoes to fill really after just the most impressive campaign across the whole EFL arguably last season a double promotion the champions of League One and and playing a very attractive brand of football a very um, very well a recognisable brand by the end of the season we certainly banged on about their, their four diamonds too uh, enough and it'd be I'm fascinated, given how much onus was put on that style, uh, to see how he will set them up. He has said that he, you know, all of his teams that he's worked with before, they want the ball first and foremost. They want to attack, want to score goals. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's tough shoes to fill when the previous manager, well, the man who took them up, Harford, is so popular, and the man who left them, Nathan Jones, less popular certainly, but uh, pretty undeniable what he did in terms of setting up that team and building it. So he's under a bit of pressure already, Jones, uh, from my perspective. I'm not sure how the fans feel. Uh, It feels like he's a young manager because he hasn't had like a first-team role. He's actually 49, uh, which slightly surprised me, but he's got good pedigree. A lot of 50-year-olds listening to this pod now being like, that is young, Eddie, come on. (laughs) But he, um, yeah, I'm interested. uh, The dynamic between him and Darren Moore, I'd love to, you know, talk to someone who knows definitively, having been part of the club or something about it, because there was a lot of rumours that you know, he, as assistant managers go, he really did have very significant input on on the way that Darren Moore ran that team, and um, you know whether that was a good or, or a bad thing. I'm not 100. percent So now he gets his chance to take Luton into the Championship, and he's got big shoes to fill. And Hull's manager Nigel Atkins has left them. We certainly did not probably like give him or predict him doing uh, as good a job as he did. He, he was fortunate, I suppose, to have Jared Bowen and, and Kamil Grisicki, two fantastic attacking players. But it's, I mean, to my, from my perspective, did an excellent job last season and it should be and is a huge worry for the fans that, that he's departed and whether they would have faith in, in their owners, which they don't, to, to appoint a man to do a similarly good job. I mean, I'm pretty worried about this. Well, Nigel Atkins' managerial, managerial style is just positivity, just breathing positivity into a club. Um, Krasicki, a, a perfect example of a player who just wanted out of Hull, who the fans had completely lost any patience with him. He didn't want to be at the club. He wanted to leave. And Adkins comes in, integrates him into the team, gets him, play, gets him happy and playing decent football. And he ends the season being um, probably their second most important player. Mm. Um, given the divide between the owners and the fans, uh, having someone like that is incredibly important. And the fact that Adkins decided that his position at, at Hull... Um, was one he no longer wanted, clearly based on that relationship that he has with the owners um, and the club and, and, and how the club is being run is a massive concern. 
because they now need to find someone who can do that job that he no longer wanted. And it's looking like a bit of a poison chalice. I mean, Michael Appleton is, is the current favourite, I think. Second favourite, as we speak, Grant McCann, the, the current favourite, Michael Appleton's second favourite. Um, you're right, there is a poison chalice part to it. I'd be surprised if McCann took that. I, mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Appleton did. Well, just Appleton cause... said to us on the pod, on, on, on the interview that we did, that the most important thing about his new... Uh, his next job was the owners, not the league then, not the money, just that the owners were decent. So I'd be shocked. I mean, I, I know that he's going to be desperate for a job and, and the whole job is, 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 a, is a decent one and a big one, but I'd be amazed if he's uh, if he's standing there shaking hands with, with Alam. Here's what I'm thinking. With no inside info whatsoever, Sol Campbell, third favourite, seven to one, already works for a club that's in absolute disarray off the pitch in Macclesfield. Um, I, like, I, I imagine, and I don't know them personally, but I imagine the Hull owners would quite like hiring a big name, a very recognisable name, great for marketing and all that jazz. Um, and I think, you know, for, from his point of view, it would probably be worth taking. Um, but by no means sort of, you know, trying to trying to sell him off, Macclesfield fans. Uh, uh, apologies if that's how it came across. Uh, in League One, there's only really Steve Evans in at Gillingham. Their fans already seem to be having, understandably, not been very happy about the appointment. He's not a man that opposition fans have ever liked I think that's fair to say but I think there is um, a, a sense that he is seducing them which is a hell of an image uh, to some extent he is to be fair to him a, a, a communicator extraordinaire um, he is like genuinely and it might be hard to imagine just from seeing him on the touchline seeing him in post-match interviews he is a real charmer and he knows how to charm people and I think he knows outside of a football pitch the right way to go about things to get fans on side. And I know that him and his assistant did a, a sort of Q&A, met some fans uh, and came across very well. And, and I think there's a, an extent to which that the fans are quite excited about that. We're going to talk about their transfer business in uh, the next section. They've been very busy um, with early transfer business. Steve Emmons getting some work done early. Now, the t in League Two, I think in terms of new managers... We don't need to go into too much detail about Paul Hurst at Scunthorpe, Daryl Clark at Walsall and Ryan Lowe at Plymouth because we've spoken about and to them, not Ryan Lowe, but to Paul Hurst and Daryl Clark uh, at length on this podcast and we spoke about a desire for them to get back in the game on our behalf to see what they can do with a new club and, and they've turned up at Scunthorpe and Walsall, Ryan Lowe leaving Bury for Plymouth and those teams will go in uh, at the very top of the, the, the League 2 promotion market. Gary Bowyer obviously took Bradford down just the last few games really and I think generally we feel like those are four good managers to take charge of of teams who have suffered relegation you've also got John Dempster at Mansfield we don't know too much about him George he's already involved with the club and they seem to rate him quite highly he was quite a feisty player I can t that's all I do know okay um didn't look the most intelligent on the pitch but you know that what does that mean at all so the, the interesting thing with the, the managers coming down is that I mean, Plymouth are a very, you know, big club for that level, but they're losing Kerry and they're uh, losing Lemiris as well. Yeah. Um, which is a tough job for Ryan Lowe to replace those two creative players, and they're probably going to lose Ladapo. Um, although I do think they probably should cash in on him because he's not a player I'm too keen on. Yeah. Um, Hurst comes into Scunthorpe with a lot of dead wood to shift, and he's yet to make any signings. I mean, he's a manager that I have immense respect for, and I think that he. Um, is the cream of the crop in, in League 2 this season Nice, um, but it's going to be interesting to see what players he does bring in um, because his impact at Shrewsbury was, was pretty immediate with, a, with an underachieving group of players so given a whole summer at his disposal um, it, well, with the transfers at his disposal uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does and then we've got um, Daryl Clark who's brought in a couple of key players from Bristol Rovers already and again is, is just a massive upgrade on what Walsall have already had mm. uh, and, and in Bowie someone who's finally able to put their own stamp on it who you know the job he did at Blackpool goes under the radar as one of the best jobs we've seen in the EFL in the last couple of years. So four managers I've got immense respect for um, at four clubs who should have the foundation to to bounce back up. The managerial pool in League Two is something that I have spoken about on Twitter already, but something I'm really excited about. I think that it's a, a reflection of how the game is changing at at that level, and just in terms of playing style, in terms of where managers uh, are being recruited from and what they're being asked to do something that I feel very positive about. We've spoken about those four there, um, but you've got, you know, just a, a, a real diversity, uh, which I'm not sure necessarily would have existed five, ten years ago, um, you know, and, ever, and, and lots of different styles of play too, which I think, again, 
um, is is something relatively new. I think uh, back in the old days, certainly the stereotype is that there was a lot of long ball football, a lot of four four two. Uh, that's certainly not the case now. So I think it's a, a rich tapestry as we head into the new season. I'm very excited about that. Um, we do have news of a new Oldham manager, for those who missed it, Laurent Banid, the obvious choice, I think. Uh, Laurent Banid. Imagine if you hadn't got it. <laughs> he actually comes with a glowing reference from Thierry Henry, who he coached at Monaco. He spent 12 years there on the coaching staff and did a short spell as manager in 06, 07, and in 2011... Otherwise, he's been in the Middle East for the last 10 years, managing various different clubs. Uh, very much in keeping with how we now expect the Oldham owner to act, how he operates. Uh, I don't think, if I'm completely honest, it's something that uh, we feel is necessarily the right path to success. Um, but we will, of course, reserve judgment until we see a bit more of Mr. Banid and, and his Oldham side uh, and see what their recruitment is like this summer. Um, and lastly, in League Two, actually news of a, a, of Leighton Orient today. Firstly, certainly the, the saddest news that we've had since covering the leagues, George, the, the terribly sad and sudden passing of, of Justin Edinburgh uh, and an incredible outpouring of, of emotion and good feeling towards him and his family and, and the job that he did. And, and Leighton Orient's um, grief as a club has been... Um, horrible to, to watch, but I think we just send all of our best wishes. And you, you were lucky to meet him a few months ago. Yeah, um, to any Leighton Orient listeners, um, sad that we we can't welcome you on on happier terms, I guess. And, and as you say, I, I was lucky enough with the with the day job to spend an afternoon filming at the Leighton Orient training ground, um, and we filmed a piece uh, with Joby McEnough and uh, and Justin Edinburgh doing a kind of manager player quiz. And quite often on these days, you get guys, whether they're players or managers, who just can't really be bothered to engage in the media activities, who, who aren't particularly welcoming, who just get through it and leave. And, and he couldn't have been um, more different. He stuck around to watch the other bits of content that we filmed and, and laughed along with the rest of the guys. He was incredibly welcoming and up for anything. And uh, yeah, fair to say that when, when the news came out, I was um, really sad to, to, read, to read about it and to hear about it because in the very brief a uh, few minutes I spent with him, he seemed like an absolute gent. Um, so very sad about that. And and I think that I speak for all the FL fans in, in welcoming Leighton Orient back at a big club. And, and I think everyone has their fingers crossed that it's a, a positive start to the season for them. In terms of trying to, to keep the football side of things moving as they prepare for League Two, uh, they've gone with essentially Justin Edinburgh's staff. And it, and it by all, all accounts... And from what we've seen, uh, basically a, a, a family, really, atmosphere that he created. And there seems to be a good feeling from Leighton Orient fans I've seen on social media today that the appointment of Ross Embleton, who was his assistant as interim head coach, as Danny Webb, highly involved as well as interim assistant coach, and Joby McEnough as interim player coach, is the right thing to do to f- f- essentially hiring people who understand what Justin Edinburgh's vision was for the club heading into um, their return to the EFL and the, and the right people to take that forward while obviously respecting his legacy and, and doing right by him. And we wish them all the best uh, as they prepare in the next six weeks or so for, for opening weekend. Um, also looking for a manager is Berry. To be honest, they've got bigger things to worry about. Their court case uh, was adjourned again this morning for six weeks, which is good news, but there is plenty to sort out. I would recommend reading a piece by David Conn in The Guardian today for a bit of background into exactly what's gone wrong. The numbers that are owed, the numbers that have been moved around and spent in different ways are mind-boggling and terrible and reckless and uh, really do cast huge doubt into the future of the club and, and you know even if they are to be saved um, there's going to be a lot to sort out so they're still looking for a manager and, and George maybe Derby might be looking for a manager as well I think you'd say definitely yeah, well, but I'm saying it's, close it's not done gets. yet and they, they're not even accepting applications from prospective managers because they say we've got a manager yeah, I think uh, maybe Chelsea fans out there are hoping you're right because <laughs> I'm not going to say that it's um, it's I think it's probably done. Um, I think that Derby, given how long it's kind of gone on for the last couple of weeks, they couldn't keep silent and they can't really say anything else apart from what they've said. Um, it's disappointing for Derby fans and to, and to the owner, um, who I'm sure knew that Lampard and Chelsea would be re- reunited at some stage, but probably didn't expect it to be um, this summer after appointing Maurizio Sarri last year. 
Um, so it's disappointing for them. I mean, Lampard is never going to turn down that job and there's no way that Derby are going to stand in his way. I'm pretty sure there'll be a clause in his contract where if they tried to, um, it wouldn't work anyway. So interesting where Derby go from here. I would say that they're in a pretty difficult position now um, and they're almost, despite what was nearly a very successful campaign last year, Lampard wouldn't be leaving them in the best of states mm. because their key players from last season weren't theirs and don't play for them anymore. And um, whoever comes in isn't going to have very long to fill some pretty big uh, gaps in there. Yeah. And even some key players who do remain, the likes of Richard Keogh, Tom Huddleston, um, Bradley Johnson, are getting older and another year older as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I said it about um, Swansea, but I, again, I, I think that if whoever comes into Derby gets them into the playoffs again next season, uh, that's going to be a job well done. It's transfer time. We've done plenty of manager chat there. Please do get in touch with us. Easiest way probably to tweet us at NTT20pod or Instagram message us, I guess. Wow. Um, uh, also at NTT20pod. You don't want me to see it. Yeah. Then Instagram it. Just trying to push Instagram uh, a bit more these days. I think, I think we need to think about separate revenue streams, you know. And you never know what you can... I've, I've seen a lot of good Instagram uh, branded content. I think we could do some teeth whitening. I think we could do some sort of diet pills. I know I could use them. Um, and uh, we're definitely going to look into that. If anyone has good knowledge and expertise on Instagram and how to really you know, capture the imagination of, uh, of, of the Instagram generation, then please get in touch. Please let us know. Look, we're going to talk about transfers. We're going to do two things here. First, we're going to touch on five or six teams who have just been really busy. Because if we're honest, uh, there's not been a lot going on, especially in the championship. Uh, people keeping their powder dry at this very early stage. Um, but there are a few teams, notably in League One, League Two, have been very busy. So we should flag that up. We're going to start with Posh, with Peterborough. No surprise here, George is there. Peterborough, every season, you, you can tell two things. <laughs> their games are going to have a lot of goals in them and they're going to buy a lot of players every summer. And, and the funny thing is, is that with them, you, you know, because you've got the chairman telling you, if you follow him on Twitter, he's, he's in your, on your timeline every minute telling you who they're about to sign and, and when they've signed them. So um, even though they have signed a lot of players, if you compare it to someone like Coventry, who've signed a similar amount of players, mm-hmm. um, it's just a little bit louder. Um, it's fair to say, the PR, the posh PR machine in full swing. Well, we're now fully on the bandwagon, of course, with our great friend Blades Analytic uh, involved in the recruitment process, a job that I got him. Uh, still haven't been bought a beer, but I'm sure I will be at some point soon. No, he very much got that job for himself, and I know that he's working very hard. Um, we should mention that there's rumours, reports, that they're in for Frankie Kent and Sammy Smodix from Colchester, two key players who form... Uh, you know, Kent in the back line and Smodix in terms of scoring and assisting goals, key players for Colchester and probably will, will feel like they've earned a, a step up. Um, that might be a little double signing, but in terms of who they've got so far, uh, Fraser Blake Tracy from Kings Lynn, we don't know a huge amount about. Um, Sirhat Tazdemir comes from Fylde, he's a bit of a live wire, another young player, very skillful, very raw in the sort of Siriki Dembele mould, I would say. But players like Mark Beavers from Bolton. Christy Pym from Exeter, Dan Butler from Newport, and Mo Issa. Pretty eye-catching stuff there. Yes. I mean, Issa is, right now, I mean, I mentioned the managers, that's the player that I'm most intrigued about next season. Mm-hmm. Um, given he was signed for a lot of money by Bristol City, who are very, very good spots of young talent. Lee Johnson is a manager who's very, very happy and very good at bloody youngsters. Yet, for whatever reason... Um, they were not happy with that signing. Yeah. He, he got, I, I mean, he got literally no game time at all in the league. Um, they he got were, injured very early, didn't he? Like immediately. Mm. But he was back. He was know, back he for was a long back time for a while. And definitely raises questions about, you know, it, I'm sure it was completely legitimate. But just the fact that it was Lee Johnson buying him from Gary Johnson at Bristol City. Well, I, th- I think they beat off a few other teams who who were in for him as well. I think that they would have. There would have been a few people who, who would have been up for signing Moisa. Um, a few clubs. Yeah, a few clubs that might have used him a bit more, which is what we were... Yeah, exactly, for. exactly. So it's, it's just interesting. I mean, Bristol City have obviously seen something in that year to suggest that Moisa isn't the player they thought they were signing. Whether that means that his, his season at Cheltenham was a fluke, whether that means he hasn't developed, whether that means that he's, as, as a person, isn't a particularly good fit as a character, we don't know. Um, so it's a big... It's a big commitment from Posh to, to break their, tra- their record fee for a player 
who hasn't played football for a year. Mm. But it also it could be an absolute masterstroke because a year ago he was worth that much to a championship yeah. club and has a and has a really really high ceiling. Um, Certainly, as a character, I mean, a lot of reports that I have read over the years is quite the opposite of being a bad apple. Someone who's just had to work unbelievably hard to get to where he was and and enjoyed a lot of success at Cheltenham. So we'll remain to be seen. But they've got you know currently in their ranks, and we must stress that we'd expect plenty more business to be done. They've got Ivan Tony scored a lot of goals last season. Matt Godden. Moisa front line and, and you know behind the strikers you still got Madison and, and George Cooper who we might hope to see a bit more of Siriki Dembele um, and uh, and this Tazdemir chap as well so quite exciting times uh, for Peterborough be plenty of ins and outs I think still to come and Coventry who will be playing at St Andrews at Birmingham Stadium next season uh, unable to sort out uh, their issues uh, the council and the owners and wasps uh, in one of Many distasteful things happening across the EFL uh, in terms of off-the-field issues and just feel terrible for the fans, many of whom will not make the trip to, to Birmingham to watch their team play next season, which is a, a horrendous state of affairs in terms of their transfer business. And look, Mark Robbins, I think we would say, has done a great job to get past anything going on off the field in the, in the last two, two and a half years with Cov. And they've made quite a few signings. Carl McFadden, I've flagged up on our in our alternative team of the season for League One after his performances with Burton. They got him in early to play centre-back. Got Josh Pask, another centre-back from West Ham. Morosi to replace Burge in goal. Uh, ben Wilson from Bradford. Fankati Darbo, who's a sort of mobile full-back, can play on either side from Chelsea. Uh, and Wesley Jobello, I know you're excited about, the winger from Ajaxio in Big League Wes. yeah. But, you, you, you know, you're, you're feeling quite good about well, that. Well, we, we spoke about this at lunch uh, and... <laughs> I think if, if I were to trust an EFL team in what, a League One or a League Two team, um, if, I, if I was to take over a club and poach their recruitment team, I think Coventry would be very, very high on my list. Nice. Um, they seem to, despite absolute chaos off the pitch, at, you know, a more senior boardroom level, um, the, well, in terms of not ownership, but in terms of, of, the, of the, the situation with, um, with Sisu and, 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 the, and the stadium issues. Uh, whoever's in their recruitment team, whether that's Mark Robbins and his own men or, or a, uh, an analysis and scouting team, do really interesting interesting stuff when they shop in many different areas. They're very good in the loan market. You look at Enabakare last season. They're very good at getting um, academy players as well. Um, look at Dujon Sterling, for yeah. example. They brought yeah. in Darbo again this time and Pask. It just feels like they understand what a good player is. Mm. Um, and uh, again, it looks like another set of players. I mean, McFadden, we know what we're getting. But in terms of the other players, it's interesting, it's intelligent, it's, it's out of the box, and um, I expect they'll probably be fairly decent. Nice. Yeah, I do too. Um, where are we going next, George? I'll tell you exactly where we're going next. We're going to talk about Gillingham. We spoke about big Steve Evans taking charge, and busy Steve Evans uh, is how it's played out so far. Connor Ogilvy, who was obviously there last season, he signs permanently from Tottenham. Jack Bonham of Brentford, who... I think the consensus was had a pretty good season in League One with Bristol City on loan. I know that Brentford fan David Anderson, who who we know and love, definitely had some question marks about what he can do with the ball, which is obviously big for a team like Brentford. But certainly as a shot stopper, talented goalkeeper, 25 now, so probably the right time for him to leave Brentford. Um, Stuart O'Keefe, who's got championship pedigree with, with Cardiff over the last few years. Lee Hodson coming back to the EFL after a stint at Rangers. And I'm really excited about Matty Willock. I know the fans are as well. He's a young player, signed from Manchester United. Obviously not good enough to make the grade there, but he was on loan at Crawley second half of last season. And he's sort of, he's got a bit of everything really. Silky player, good technically, as you'd expect from someone who's come through uh, a top-level academy, but he's really grown in the last year or two. Um, and he, he's a big guy. He's a strong, pacey guy. Uh, got an eye for a pass as well. I think that he could be a very good pickup from Gillingham. And, uh, you know, surprising bit of recruitment I guess for a Steve Evans team certainly from my point of view they have lost uh, Thomas Holy to Ipswich so Bonham a replacement uh, for him MK Dons George I think we like a bit of this as well five signings already Jordan Barry from Crewe is relatively peculiar he hasn't scored many goals for Crewe over the last few seasons but he's he's someone with a bit about him on his day Joe Mason from Wolves who needs to sort of find a bit more playing time uh, after difficult spells uh, in the last few seasons uh, I know that you're in, excited about Hiram Boteng getting a step up to League One. Yeah, really nice signing. Um, he's a player who's got uh, 
you know, Premier League quality. When oh, it came, yeah. Well, no, as in coming through. Are you thinking uh, of George Boateng? I'm thinking of, uh, of Hiram Boateng. <laughs> um, no, I mean, he came through at Palace yeah. and, and was very highly regarded there. Um, and he's done very well at Exeter since he came in. Uh, he scored the goal of the season last yeah. season in, in the EFL. Um, <laughs> but he's someone who's developed over the course of the last two or three years at Exeter. And I think has now become the player that um, that will climb the leagues. And I think it's only right that he's a League One player. Um, working with Tisdale again as well. It's just a, a shrewd bit yeah. of business, really. Yeah, spot on. I, I'm going to talk about Brennan Dickinson, who they got from Colchester. He's had a really difficult spell with injuries. Uh, at the start of last season, he was still recovering from an injury that basically saw him miss the whole of the 16-17, no, the 17-18 season. Uh, but in 16-17, I think it was, he put up some ridiculous numbers playing left wing for Colchester. Absolute cannon shot. Scored some spectacular goals. And... I am looking at him and Regan Poole, who we watched at Wembley play right back for Newport. And we wanted Newport to sign him because he's a Newport boy. But when they weren't getting promoted, I think it was clear that he would probably look to move to a higher level. And we both, I think, I'm right in saying, mate, we, we liked the look of him. But we both thought he didn't necessarily have the attacking qualities that we would want in, a, in an attacking fullback. And possibly an inch or two short to be a centre-back in a back two, in a, you know, up against very direct teams. But we both said we'd quite like to see him uh, as the right-sided centre-back in a back three, uh, which is pretty niche, and we should probably get some more more mates and uh, stop being such nerds. But the exciting thing is, for him and Dickinson, I'd love to see them in uh, a three-at-the-back system. Dickinson as a left wing-back, a very attacking left wing-back, and Paul as the right centre-back. Now, MK Don started with a system like that last season. They did move away from it by the end of the season. I suspect that was a lot down to injuries. They missed... Jordan Moore-Taylor but I think with Moore-Taylor uh, and Poole as part of a back three that'll be something I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing so good early business from MK Dons Bradford in League 2 they they had to do a lot didn't they uh, this is kind of more to do with the outs than the ins Josh Wright Adam Chickson Ryan McGowan uh, Billy Clark Alex Jones Nathaniel Knight-Percival Callum Woods Paul Caddis all of these guys Part of one of the worst teams in Bradford memory, and I think that the fans expected to see a, uh, a big outgoings. It's exactly what Gary Boyer has started to do, nice and early. And a couple of good eye-catching names coming in. Uh, ben Richards-Everton from Accrington, strong defender. Tyler French from AFC Sudbury, we don't know a huge amount about, but I know there's some excitement. Jackson Longridge, we had our, our Scottish friends, Pure Fitball, uh, or Pure Fitball. Uh, they tweeted us. <laughs> They tweeted about us about Jackson Longridge, who sounds like something out of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, said he's quite a talented right-sided player. Um, and, you know, Clayton Donaldson and Zeli Ismail, probably the sort of marquee signings so far. I just have no idea what Pride and Prejudice you've watched. This one's called Jackson. Um, <laughs> uh, it's an interesting array of signings, mm. I would say. I mean, I think... Zeli Ishmael is someone who's flattered to, deceive, flattered to deceive for a long time. He's very good for about 20 minutes every fortnight. Season. Season. Yeah. I know he's, he's got a lot of ability, but he doesn't really impact games enough at all. Donaldson just looks a bit grim on paper, um, age 35, but could well prove to be a masterstroke if he's still got the ability at that level. Yeah. Um, I'm not convinced he does. I think Henley's a really interesting one, mm-hmm. um, who you know played... For Blackburn a couple of years ago, who, who went abroad, he's coming back to a level way be, way below what he was paying beforehand. Bowyer will know him from Bowyer Blackburn. will know him, and if, if he's retained that ability, that could be a bit of a steal. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I have real faith in Bowyer to get it right. Nice. Um, whether or not the, the recruitment looks too exciting on paper, I'm sure he'll turn them into a much, much more focused and enthusiastic team than they were last season. i tell you who has been busy as well. Mysterious Curl, uh, Keith and Keith's Cobblers. Uh, Northampton in terms of signings and don't get me wrong there are plenty of players who've left the club but in terms of playings, play, players coming in uh, you've got the likes of Chris Lyons from Bristol Rovers central midfield player big Macclesfield striker Harry Smith caused a lot of problems for League 2 defensive last, defences last season Watson another midfielder from MK Dons McCormack another midfielder defensive minded experience from Luton a lot of promotion experience of course Nicky Adams, who is so good for Berry playing right wing back. I think the expectation is he'll probably play more of a right midfield, right wing role uh, for Curl, but that remains to be seen. Steve Arnold, the goalkeeper from Shrewsbury, and Reese Hall Johnson, who comes in from Grimsby. They're a team who, over the last few years, has probably signed more players than any team in the EFL. I don't know if you remember, but that season they got relegated from League One. 
they signed about 20 players in the summer and another 10 or so in January and it was a bit of a disaster but Curl certainly being backed in the transfer market do you, do you sort of get excited when you see what's happening at Northampton? No uh <laughs> That's all right. No, I mean, don't have to be excited about everything. I think I think this just looks like a very standard League Two inlist for a summer. Yeah, a lot of players who performed quite well at League Two level in the past. Maybe he's got a holiday booked for nothing, July. But there's nothing particularly inventive there, is there? Um, you tell me. It's just it's just it's it's a list of players who are either surplus at the current clubs or or they've gone in mean, the likes of Warburton and Smith. They're just better than the current clubs, but not necessarily. Um, if it's not inventive, though, it's it's definitely a, a statement. I think you know the names like Nicky Adams and Alan McCormack. I think, they'll be on decent wedge. Yeah, I think Lines as well is, is a yeah. decent signing as well. Um, it's just it's hard. You to want to get... see a, some players from League Dirt arriving? No, no, it's not necessarily that. It's just you know it's it's it's, it's a League Two. It's just not really doing anything particularly new, which is fine. I mean, they they might turn out to be a, a great set of players. It's just. We've spoken about other clubs looking at different areas who've spotted talent that maybe other people don't. This is just getting your business done early, I guess, yeah. and, uh, and going again. Well, they've lost John Joe O'Toole, Ash Taylor and Daniel Powell, uh, all part of the first team last year. So they had a bit of, they had some gaps to fill, but they have acted early. And I think that is uh, impressive uh, on some level. Let's finish off with a couple of ones that have really caught our eyes. So what we've done there is are the busy teams. Now we're going to pick out a couple from each division, George. Uh, just individual players that have moved clubs that we like. So let's finish on a positive note. We'll start with the championship. Uh, one, I think, that was completed today or yesterday. Patrick Bauer from Charlton to Preston. You like a bit of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of this Preston team. A very young Preston team. And I think getting in someone like Bauer, who is a captain, he's a leader, he's more experienced, he's on the back of a promotion. Um, it just gives them that bit of steel at the back that they're gonna, that they basically need. Um, and they should enjoy. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a smart move, Alex Neil. Yeah, and uh, and we should point out that our favourite, well, one of our favourite uh, EFL Twitter analysts, uh, Ram Srivinas, he has been doing a lot of good work in the last few weeks, a lot of good visualisations of, of, of data analysis of players, and Patrick Bauer, um, sort of above average passer of the ball, and uh, dominant, really, in, in terms of duels uh, both aerial uh, and otherwise so a good signing for Preston there's definitely a feeling that while we banged on very positively about Ben Davies and uh, Jordan's story last season that they maybe lack a bit of strength in the air so Bauer uh, can fill that gap and not all bad news for Charlton they're losing Bauer but they're gaining Macaulay Bond you like that one as well yeah I mean I haven't seen as much of him as I would have done if he was an EFL player last season but he seems a guy who um, fits into the Carl and Grant gap quite well. He, he scores all types of goals. He's good on the ball. He's very good in the air. Um, he's very strong. He's a big guy as well. And we know that Lyle Taylor is definitely his most effective in a two to the extent that um, even just having Josh Parker playing in that two was was a value to Charlton. So to bring in a guy who, who scored goals at a, at a lower level but has the ability to step up, um, if they can keep hold of Taylor, uh, I think it's a really smart bit of business. You told me he's going to score a lot of tap-ins from Lyle's low crosses, well, like we saw in the playoff final. Just squaring it, yeah. Look, my three from the championship are Will Volks to Cardiff. Now, this hasn't actually been confirmed yet, but I'm sure it'll go ahead. And I remember thinking in sort of May time when we knew that Cardiff were going down and Rotherham as well, uh, that everything kind of stacked up. I mean, uh, he just made his debut for the Welsh national team. He'll be moving to the capital uh, of Cardiff. And he strikes me as a player whose qualities are, are you know, very much in the technical department. We know he's a, a perfectly good passer of the ball without that being his main strength. He's got a fantastic long shot, but it's more the, with the, the physical profile that he has and how impressive he is on that side of things. Just so energetic, strong, um, just never stops running, a real presence in the centre of the park. And we, and we know that that's the sort of thing that, Neil Warnock likes so it kind of makes sense it sounds like it'll be at least two million with with some add-ons so for Rotherham it seems like they might have a bit of money to spend I know that they might be in for Drew Yearwood of Southend who's probably not as big as Volks yet has got a bit of filling out to do still a young midfielder but I think that would be the right sort of signing someone who who is young and, and has a lot of potential they can spend a bit of money on that they've got from Volks think could, could be a good signing for Rotherham but Vox to Cardiff I think is a good start for them this summer Luke Thomas to Barnsley as well the winger from Derby he was on loan last season uh, with Coventry where 
he massively underperformed his XG and XA, that is expected assist numbers. Essentially, he was he was getting into a lot of good positions and he was creating a lot of good chances for his teammates. But both in terms of his finishing, that that could probably do with some work. Uh, but also his teammates were were not gobbling up the chances he created. But he was so lively, he was always involved. And I think we can expect this to be a nice addition for Barnsley. I think they needed another option out wide. They've got Jacob Brown, good goal scorer from the right-hand side, but not necessarily much of a, a ball carrier. Well, this is what Thomas can bring. Cutting in from the right onto his left foot, I think he's a good signing for Barnsley. Keeping a close eye on them because the early odds have them basically favourites for relegation. Uh, and I'm expecting them to be much better than that, to be quite honest, as long as they can keep hold of key players. And Christian Norgard, Brentford signed him very early for 2.7 million quid, which for Brentford, you know, we know they make a lot of money from their transfers. They previously haven't spent a huge amount on fees individually. And this is a real statement of intent. Someone that Thomas Frank has worked for before, worked with before. He comes from Fiorentina, uh, but he worked with him at Bromby. He's a defensive midfield player. And I think that the idea is that with him, with Makocha, if they can hold on to him, Sawyers, they'll have a really strong depth chart, essentially, in central midfield. Um, and yeah, David Anderson, who I mentioned before, he's watched several hours of his defensive actions and he's unlike any other midfielder Brentford has at the club, the type of player that's been missing for years. So we might not be talking about Brentford as a team with a soft underbelly this season. Um, in League One, George, who have you been uh, excited about so far? Well, I think James Norwood to Ipswich has got to be the one. Yeah, um, He's a player that I'm, I'm a massive fan of uh, and I think that it's... Interesting to see Ipswich after last um, summer's poor recruitment continuing down the model of of signing the best players of, of clubs who performed well the season before in in, in lower leagues. Uh, he's someone who I think will profit uh, a lot from the work of Alan Judge and and Grant Abadie the side of him, um, and I expect Ipswich to be very good next season. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, and I think that having him to lead the line uh, pretty much guarantees you goals. Do you think that having Lambert in from such an early stage of the season and and being so adamant they were sticking with him, um, even when results were, were equally poor as they were under Hurst, pretty much, do you think that could basically cancel out the sort of trauma of relegation that we see some clubs affected by, especially big clubs dropping down a level? I don't know. I think he, he's one of the managers who'll be under the most pressure straight away if, he, if, if results don't go well. Yeah. Because despite all the all the bluster and all the positivity from Ipswich fans about him, he didn't do anything last season. Mm. He didn't improve them. Mm. Um, I mean, they'll tell you that he did, but he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's someone who, I mean, he may feel like he's doing Ipswich a favour by managing them managing them in League One, which is dangerous in itself. But he's someone who, when the fixtures come out tomorrow morning, I think we'll be hoping for a couple of easy games. He won't want to go to the stadium light away first game of the season. Yeah. He won't want Fratton in those early games. He's yeah. going to want to get points on the board because very quickly if they have a stuttering start um, it's not going to go the way that, that, that the Portman faithful want it to How concerned are you from a Tramia standpoint we knew that Norwood was going so it's not like that's come out of the blue but you know promoted via the playoffs you've, you've got to plan for two eventualities being in League 1 and being in League 2 um, in the end, they go up to League One. They're, they're, you know, they're a few weeks late to go up to know which division they're going to be in. They lose their top scorer. They have signed on Manny Mont to a new contract. That was a huge, huge coup for them. Because if they'd lost both of them, that could have been big trouble. But he was just so talismanic for them last season to get them up through the playoffs. I must admit, I'm concerned. While they have some time before the start of the season, uh, this leaves me a little concerned for Tranmere. Yeah, you have to be. But Mickey Mellon's done such a good job there that you've got to invest some faith in him. Mm. Um, who they get in to, to replace the goals of Norwood is going to be difficult. But the fact is he was very unlikely to score as many as he did coming into League One. Um, suddenly having that talismanic striker is just not quite as important. He's, yeah. got, he's got to be built upon a very solid defence and, and getting uh, months to sign on is massive. Um, so concerns, of course, um, but... They've got a manager who I think is taking the club the right way and I'm sure the yeah. signings that we'll see will, will, will reflect that. My League One signing of the summer so far is Ethan Ebanks-Landell. Uh, he signed for Shrewsbury from Wolves. We've seen him on loan a lot in the last few seasons with Rochdale. He helped 
shore up their defence, which basically kept them up uh, in April last season. A couple of clean sheets came at the right time. Uh, he didn't have a great time at MK Dons. I know their fans don't rate him at all. Uh, I'm less concerned about that. He was part of a terrible MK Dons team. And I think a lot of players in that squad would, would probably protest if someone based a big opinion on, on them based on that season, the relegation season. Uh, of course, to Sheffield United, he was he a was big part of their promotion campaign from League One. And I think he's a very, very good, strong defender, um, good in the air, just just, a, just exactly what Shrewsbury need, basically. They were shaky at the back, I think it's fair to say. A lot of mistakes in that back line last season, especially with Waterfall and Sadler, who's actually left the club. Uh, and I think this is a step in the right direction for Shrewsbury. They've also signed Steve Morrison today. Um, but I, I, you know, I was actually... <laughs> this is so weird. But as many of the listeners know, I went to America uh, at the start of June, immediately after the playoff finals. On my flight back, I sat next to Ethan Ebanks Landell. He somehow managed to fold himself into uh, a, a seat next to me and took up... A, fold himself? Well, he's just a big guy. Like, you know, he's a proper athlete. Uh, and he took up a lot more of the seat than I did, that's for sure. Did hog the armrest somewhat, but somewhat but he's he'd obviously been in in LA I think having a good you know good trip celebrating his new club uh, which he has every right to do and I had a quick chat with him about my football manager save which I was playing at the time with Morecambe uh, he told me that he's taken Stockport to the Premier League and he's in 2035 <laughs> uh, but when I told him that I did an EFL podcast uh, and I knew loads about him I think he thought that was quite weird so he went back to sleep pretty quickly after that which is a shame but Essentially, Ethan Ebanks Landell, big friend of the pod now, and a good signing. Uh, League Two, to finish us off, uh, who's catching your eye in terms of League Two signings, George? Quite a weird one, okay. I would say. Matt Mills, I think, is a very interesting um, signing. From Poon City? I think it's FC Poon, isn't it? FC Poon. Or is it Poon City? I don't know. Both sound lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is someone who we last saw playing for Barnsley, not particularly... Well, but prior to that, he was a Forest centre back. He's someone who's played a lot of football in the Championship. Um, he's only 32 years old, so he's hardly over the hill. Um, and to pick him up for Forest Green is, I think, a bit of a coup, really. And it's, it's like similar to the to the um, Adam Henley one. These players who who go off um, to the states or to the, or to India or to these other countries maybe are somewhat forgotten about and therefore can be picked up. I mean, he's probably made a few quid in the last couple of years. I'd I'd bet. So nice touch. Um, yeah, I think he's a really interesting signing um, and someone I'm looking forward to seeing uh, at Forest Green. Nice. He um, played for England 19, England under-19s back in the day um, in the European Championship final against France in 2005. Played with the likes of Matty Fryatt, um, played with the likes of Grant Ledbitter, Lee Holmes, James Morrison, some great names there. Uh, welcome back to English football, Matt Mills. Uh, I've got a couple just to rattle through. Zeki Fryers has gone to Swindon. Richie Weller's great interview, really explaining the reasoning well. It's a bit of a coup because Fryers, although he's someone who's struggled with injuries, he's played for Manchester United, Spurs and Crystal Palace early in his career. And Wellens basically said, look, his physical qualities are Premier League level. Uh, and that's why he's played. That's why so many Premier League teams wanted to, to sort of fulfil potential. Uh, and he struggled to do so. Obviously, he didn't have much of a look in at Barnsley last season. He was injured. He couldn't get in the team ahead of Pineos. I think Swindon, if they can get him right, get him fit, get him playing plenty of games, as well and said, I think this could be a great signing. Sort of player I can see them selling next summer for, you know, 500, 600 grand and, and doing very well out of. Um, I'm quite into Mike Duff's Cheltenham just at this stage of the summer. I thought they finished last season well. They signed Charlie Raglan from Oxford. I thought you should have kept him, to be honest, just to be a, a squad player. I think he's a good centre-back. It's a good signing for them, having been on loan last season. And, and Tavon Campbell as well. Um, you know, mobile striker, skillful. Not someone that has scored loads and loads of goals, but someone who, who might do well for a lot of starts and, and an arm round the shoulder from Mike Duff. So, yeah, up the Duff, up the Cheltenham. <laughs> Ashley Nadson's gone to Crawley. I think this is a big coup. Uh, he was on loan at Carlisle first half of last season from Fleetwood. S- scored eight, set up six in 25 games uh, as a forward player and just does a bit of everything. I think he is a good signing for them. Fleetwood took him back second half of the season. Barton obviously wanted to have a look at him, decided... Doesn't need to keep him, so maybe that's saying something. But I just think for Crawley, this is a good signing, and I, I, you know, I am a little concerned about Crawley, uh, the way that they finished last season, and and just the the makeup of their squad. So this is a move in the right direction. And lastly, Richie Towell signed for Salford. 
Um, the Irishman. Start of the summer, this one was done, and I think it's a, it's a big signing for Salford. It'll be a, a decent wage for this level. It's no surprise. We know that they're going to be able to do that. Uh, he played 34 games in the Championship last season for Rotherham on loan from Brighton. Um, so he's coming straight from a Premier League club down to Salford, straight into midfield for them. Um, and look, I, there's a lot of players in that squad that I haven't seen a lot of. I'm not going to pretend that I have Salford. It's not actually a squad packed with loads of recognisable former EFL players, but Towel joins. I think he's going to be good for them. So there are some transfers that we like. We've touched on busy teams, and we've touched on lots of managerial news. I hope you've enjoyed this NTT20 pod. We're going to be quiet for the next few weeks, I'm afraid. We've got one more holiday period before we get cracking uh, ahead of the new season. So we're going to be back in full flow, second week of July. Look forward to speaking to you then. We're still going to be on Twitter, on social media, on Instagram. So follow us at NTT20pod. Keep your eyes peeled on Sky Sports News. We'll be popping up on there as well. And thank you so much for listening as ever. Hope everyone's having a great summer so far. And thanks for listening. <laughs>